Signs of the Southland, Sunday, December 5th, 2021. Mr. Grant, the college football season is effectively over, but you still have things to complain about, so you say. Yeah, I uh, I actually noticed something last night, and it kind of gives a little bit of credence to the tinfoil hat, ESPN controls everything kind of thought process that we hear about sometimes, uh, something that I am sometimes uh, willing to, to agree with. But uh, I thought it was very interesting that when I logged in to check the scores of the ongoing games uh, during the middle middle slate games, so the 4 p.m. hour, the clear and clear in a way, in my opinion, most uh, interesting, compelling, uh, concerning, if you're a Georgia Tech fan like us, uh, game was nowhere to be found on the like the home landing page of the ESPN app, uh, and it required a click through. Uh, when I went to check later uh, to go check the Michigan Iowa score, uh, a game that uh, also was compelling, uh, me as a Midwesterner and people at large with you know playoff implications and whatnot. Also, not on the main page of ESPN. What is the through line between these two games? You might ask. Uh, do you want to hazard a guess? Uh, no, shoot. Yeah, well, the first game was on CBS, and the second game was on Fox. And I don't think that is any uh, any coincidence that ESPN is sticking the ACC championship at the top of that list, or uh, or the American championship, depending on uh, which window you're looking at, but. You know, obviously there's probably some conspiracy angle to that, but I just thought it was at least a little bit amusing that it wasn't, there was, you know, six, seven games on the list and it didn't even pull up uh, Bama versus the uh, Athenians or uh, Michigan, Iowa. So just uh, put, putting that out in the water for your, uh, for your conspiracy minded, uh, those among us. I wow, don't know. That was really all, all I'm hearing is that ESPN actually really likes G5 teams. I mean, anything's possible, right? Anything is possible now that Cincinnati has officially become the first college football, or I guess first G5 team to make the college football playoff. But football is far, far down our list, our run sheet today. So let's start on the basketball court this time in Athens. Well, technically this team was in Athens. Women's basketball played a game uh, up there versus the number 20th ranked of women's volleyball, women's basketball team uh, in the nation. They won by one point, uh, which is one point uh, that they could have used versus Purdue earlier in the week in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Uh, I mean, all these close, close wins, close losses, uh, guess it all evens out. In the end, yeah, I mean, I have some opinions on the Purdue game, but that's less fun. I I do want to say at least one thing on there. We could have iced that game. Uh, It's tough not to have it. And I think it is reasonable and fair uh, to to think we could have won that game because we frankly could have or should have. Um, Georgia Tech had the opportunity to sink some free throws at the end of the game. I believe they went 0 for 4 on free throws in the immediate down the stretch type time. That's tough. Um, that's the game right there. Uh, and Purdue 
banked up a bit of a prayer shot with what seven seconds on the clock, four seconds yeah, on the clock, something something yeah. stupid like that. I think it might have been three point nine actually. Now that I now that very I'm like specific. I'm also my brain. I also am now looking at it just so I can tell you exactly when it was, and we're and we're waiting and we're waiting. Yeah, it was three. It was three point nine. Dear Lord, the score bug is awful for Fox. How no, do people? That's the Big Ten Network, I think. No, 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 no. It's also Fox. Fox. It's also Fox's. God, that is awful. How do people watch this sport on that network? Um, it takes up like half the screen. It's worse than the ESPN ticker. I want to double back to the thing that you were saying about free throws, though. This has been a consistent problem for this team this season, where they cannot make free throws. Um, I, not even in club situations. They just sometimes just cannot. Uh, versus Purdue, they were at 55%. I'm pulling up the – I've got UGA up. Uh, they were – they did not go to the line all that many times. I believe they were nine for nine plus two plus 18, 50%. That's worse. They were worse. That's not yeah. good. Yeah. So they were 11 for 20 on what was this Wednesday? Uh, and then went uh, nine for 18 on Sunday. So not great performances from the line, especially when you're getting to the line that often. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, they got to the line significantly more than uh, Athens did in this game today, uh, and it was about even uh, in Purdue. So you got to make those shots, especially when you're crashing the boards that well versus <laughs> Purdue. You have to make those shots, and we want to put a real number on that. They out rebounded Purdue forty-five to twenty-seven. They had fourteen offensive rebounds and thirty-one on defense. Uh, compared to just four and 23 for Purdue, you know, that was, uh, it's pretty telling. I think um, it's also worth noting that they were without Lodamai Lotnin uh, in the Purdue game. Uh, Kubai, Stratmana, Hermosa, Bates, and Love got the start with uh, Bilani, Aranaz, Carter, and Cameron Harrison uh, spelling the breaks. Um, yeah, it, it, it was a pretty, Pretty even game. I think Purdue uh, was in in particular doing a a pretty effective uh, a pretty effective rotation. I guess it, it was clearly their starters that were bringing a lot of the a lot of the punch, but they were able to spread it out. Uh, whereas Tech was pretty reliant on Stratmana and uh, Aliyah Love. Uh, Lorella, yeah. I only finished with I believe seven points. Correct me if I'm wrong, and, yep. and that's. That's pretty tough. Uh, that's one of your and, and Hermosa with eight. That you usually uh, with how Tech plays the post want to see them get a little bit more. But you know, Tech Tech shot pretty well in the first uh, and was pretty cold in the second. You know, that's that's the game. Uh, they were seventeen percent from three again, uh, and that's with Bates. They have to wake up from somewhere. But I, I think the thing that's more important here. To, to take away from Purdue and we can talk about Athens in a sec um, is they were a point away from winning. And that was clearly, um, and we talked about it with Auburn as well. Uh, Georgia tech. I don't think we've seen them play a complete game yet. And, and you know, maybe they figure it out for uh, in time for a big one this week, but yeah, top to bottom, uh, they've struggled from three. They struggled from the line. Um, 
yeah, the, a lot of uh, players in foul trouble in a lot of games. That's that's a tough, it's a tough place to be playing in, you know. Mm-hmm. I want to double back to the thing that you said about Purdue's rotation. And I think that's a really key point here because let me just read off the minutes played by both teams here. So you have for Purdue or for Georgia Tech. 40, 40, 27, 26, 40. So that's the starters. And then the bench, 1, 7, 9, 10. So that's a combined 27 points for your, or 27 minutes from your bench during a 40, 40 minute game. Uh, and then looking over at Purdue, 19, 31, 37, 35, 23 for the starters. And then for the bench, 21, 10, 5, 19. So you can see a pretty wide discrepancy where Tech puts up 27 minutes and then Purdue almost has one person putting up 27 minutes on their own. So, yeah, Um, I do want to say I I tend to avoid uh, calling out specific players or performances if it's not positive. But Sarah Bates played 40 minutes, went one for nine uh, from three, uh, two for four from the line for five points. That, I think that's pretty emblematic of, of tech struggles, right? Which we talked about the three, we talked about free throws um, and we talked about being pretty reliant on, on key players. Um, it, it's tough. And I think we can pivot a little bit when we start to talk about uh, the Athens performance as well, but it, it's, it's pretty telling uh, that Georgia tech does not have kind of the three ball uh, that we saw at the beginning of last year and uh, made it uh we were kind of hoping to see them able to spread the floor a little bit more, but especially with, with no loyal McQueen, who is also one of our uh, shooters as well. It's, it's definitely been, I think rather telling your, your mileage may vary. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I, I, I think I, I'm really with you here. I will say that the three point shooting performance was better today. Uh, tech shot four of 13. I mean, it, Four of thirteen looks better on the sh- on the stat sheet than three of seventeen. So take well, the percentages with a grain of salt here. But no player missed more than two threes as well. But granted, some may none. But you know, it it's better yeah. to be two it's, of four and one of two rather than one of nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I also want to say, looking at some of the game flow here. Purdue was ahead for a good chunk of the third quarter and a bit into the fourth. And then Purdue just went ice cold once they hit 43 points and tech pulled, pulled ahead and then away a little bit. And then Purdue pulled back into it. So this was a tight one heading into the last, last six, seven, eight minutes. Um, The game versus Athens here. Oh, wow. My browser's being weird. Um, gamers Athens here much in the same way actually tech slowed down to open the third quarter Athens takes a massive lead I think it got up to 11 uh, and through it was just around five through the break and then tech pulled ahead about halfway through the fourth quarter uh, and then it got dicey very late they just uh, Hermosa couldn't nail a couple free throws um, uh, Athens hit a three right right near the end with a couple seconds left and it got really tight. So it, for me, it comes back to taking to hitting free throws and taking advantage of those opportunities because 
you're looking at nine points missed from the line in Athens today. You're looking at another, where's my sheet? Uh, another nine points on Wednesday. Those are difference makers. I, I, I think it's obvious or maybe cliche to say, but those are free points. You should get them. You should be better at getting them. And, and seeing that it's been a consistent problem is concerning to me. Yeah. And I, I don't know, I, I keep saying or keep thinking at least that we'll get to the point where they work it out. Um, it's only know. been seven games or it's only yeah. been eight games. So it, it could totally be worked out, but it, it's still like something to keep an eye on, right? It's yeah. something to note and something to keep an eye on for later. Especially noting like in today's game, Tech was on at the line 18 times and made nine shots. Georgia only went the line six times. You know, if, if they're seeing a pretty similar volume, I don't think we're talking about this game as a win, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that's tough. But um, one other thing that I did want to note, uh, Tech on the glass, again, strong 44 rebounds, uh, not quite as much of a, a strong margin as uh, the their hosts were able to get 37. So, again, again, not like they were dominating, dominating, but it, it's good to see. And I think it's important to recognize uh, phases of the game that are going well. Uh, tech in general shot 36.8%. That's good. Um, you know, it's, it's important to, to at least acknowledge that they led the majority of the game. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I don't know. They, they led it by as many as eight trailed by as many as 11. That's getting back in the game. It shows the offense can work. Um, and now I'm just kind of rambling, looking for good things, but uh, I do think it is important to acknowledge that yes, a win is a win is a win. Um, it, it's going into the win column on the score sheet. Doesn't have to be pretty. Uh, it just has to get done um, at the end of the day. And I think, unless you have something else, that kind of sets us up pretty well for talking about Thursday because that is absolutely something that that needs to be discussed on this podcast. Talking about Thursday? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm unclear of where you're going with this. This coming Thursday? Oh, most this- hotly anticipated women's basketball game on this campus maybe ever? Oh, uh, yeah. So here's the deal. We've just been talking about Tech uh, not looking so hot from the free throw line, uh, committing maybe a little bit too many turnovers. Guess who's showing up on Thursday? The one most famous women's basketball team on the planet, perhaps? The Stanford Cardinal, defending national champions. Oh, give me a break, sir. Got him. It's number two, UConn. It is the UConn Huskies, the sad Husky mascot. It's the UConn Huskies, 7 p.m. ESPN2, Thursday, December 9th. Do you have any initial notes? Initial notes. Uh, In terms of, like, the game, we're going to play essentially essentially our best game of Nell Fortner's tenure. Uh, if I think if we want to win, we've, we've played good teams close in the past. South Carolina was close for, for a good chunk of it. And then South Carolina just out talented and pulled away late. We did beat uh, NC state in their own gym uh, two years ago. We played them close last year. Those are, those are good teams. Um, But UConn is very good. Um, UConn is another level. (laughs) Yeah. Up and down. They've, they've been 
quite excellent. I think it's worth um, worth noting that they are without uh, one of their stars. Uh, they have many. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bet- what? Beckers is out with a, I think it was a leg injury. Um, she had to be carried off the court in today's game. Uh, there's not been a prognosis that I've seen, at least so far, that happened pretty recently. So, yeah. Uh, but but that is something to keep an eye on, at least her availability for this game. Um, that's a, this is game one of a home and home. I believe the second half is next year at UConn. So, um, interesting, interesting scheduling decision. Um, but I appreciate it. It's good entertainment hey, value. You gotta, you gotta get this kind of experience. Obviously, you get it in ACC play, but, but in terms of, I, I see it similar to why it is important to be scheduling uh, men's basketball if they get opportunities in the future to take some of these MFEs and things like that. You, you want your, even if you're likely to, to, to be tested or even take a loss. Uh, the amount of buzz that playing UConn gets you, that uh, granted, South Carolina nearly as good. Actually, this year probably better. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like this is the program. It's it's playing Alabama in football or Penn State in volleyball or uh, inking a series if we ever did with you know Arkansas or something like or UCLA a couple of years ago in baseball. Like this this is why you play those games, right? So it's important yeah. to actually do. Uh, you know, it, it also looks good on the, on the RPI and the strength of schedule. Yep. So, uh, it'll even, even if the game doesn't look great and I, it's tough to say that out loud, but it's also UConn. This women's basketball is very heavily stratified. The top five are very, very good. And the there's a massive gulf between the top five and the rest of the top 15. And then there's a massive gulf after that and it's very very difficult to to break into each of those tiers we could uh be in for a world of hurt looking at uh looking at some of these scores it it is worth noting um connecticut 15 over arkansas by 30 over minnesota by seven over th- South Florida, uh, the Bulls are a pretty good team. They're top 15 team. Uh, they did get smacked by South Carolina, who, as we noted, uh, probably the best uh, women's basketball team uh, any side of the Mississippi by a long margin this year. Uh, we have Connecticut smacking around Seton Hall uh, and then uh, beating Notre Dame today by, by 20 points. So it's... <sighs> It's going to be tough, and and UConn is a team that tests themselves, right? Georgia Tech mm-hmm. could very well be ranked uh, this week after beating number twenty, um, but UConn will play UCLA. They'll play Louisville in the non-con. Us, obviously, South Carolina. Like they, they're not afraid to schedule tough. And uh, I mean, that just I think this shows that Nell Fortner knows that, you know, you you, you schedule your Hofstras and and things like that to get some wins and get some experience. You play the rivalry game, obviously that's important, but but playing UConn is going to give you about as good of a test as you can ask for heading into um, ACC play in a couple of weeks. Uh, good point you bring up uh, with regards to Hofstra and wins. The uh, get-right game that's scheduled for immediately after UConn is the <laughs> Sunday after the 12-12 versus Furman. That's a 1 p.m. tip on ACC Network Extra at home. Yep. So. 
you go from the uh, very hotly competitive UConn game to an opponent that is decidedly not the University of Connecticut women's basketball team. I mean, uh, if we go one and one this week, that is fine. If we go two and oh, that's ecstatic. If we go one and one and the wins UConn and the losses Furman, I think we're having a 20 minute breakdown of what the heck's going on this time next week. But yeah, um, I, we might have to just uh, give Gino a call and see if he can come on and explain what happened. No kidding. Um, I, I, I think it's also worth noting um, Tech will open uh, with Wake Forest in ACC play uh, the week after finals. Uh, they will be at rest the whole week after Furman. So this is this is the meat and potatoes. Then we have a couple assorted games before. Yeah, only two games in a in a two week span. So um, actually, two games in an eighteen day span. So even more than that. So mm. like we said, I got to get through this. Then get well, get right, um, shoot a lot of good on tests. Yeah, tests. Um, Unlike other schools, our athletes have to take real classes. Come on, come on. We're almost there. You can, you can get, you can start that bit after we, after we cross the threshold here. Finish, finish. That is, that that was too, that was too thickly veiled. Um, I'm still upset about the UNC basketball game. We're Um, getting there. We're getting there. We're, we'll, we'll, we'll make it there, but yeah, women's basketball. If you do not have a ticket yet for Thursday night, go get one. Um, this will be a great contest. So shilling. Uh, let's find out how expensive tickets are really quick. Uh, while you vamp about UConn or um, women's basketball. I, I'm not going to vamp about UConn. I am going to note we do have uh, after Wake Forest, uh, one more non-con game. That's that'll be against Boston, not Boston college, Boston university. Um, that'll be a midday game on a Tuesday. Uh, and then it will be ACC play again, starting on the 30th, um, notes on that. Uh, as we noted, UConn did play Notre Dame today. They're a top 25 team again. Uh, so they should be on the rebound, uh, from last year being a down year. I believe we played them twice, both times on the road last year, which is weird. Um, we get them once at home this year. We have Florida state twice as we have several times in the last couple of years, uh, NC state is on the road. And then I want to say Louisville is at home. So in, in terms of highlights, uh, look for those. And then Clemson home and home, of course, everything else kind of fills in from that. Okay. So I have the ticket prices from, uh, SeatGeek, not a sponsor right now. Uh, $33 in general admission. Uh, that's including fees. Uh, some bleachers are $51 each. I mean, I think they're like 20 base, like 20 face value before fees. So it's not that it's actually still a pretty cheap ticket. Like I'll consider for to watch UConn in the comfort of your own stadium. I've got a question. Oh God. That I completely like I, I have it worded well, but um, in terms of like considering this game, is this a sellout then? Uh, there are only four listings on SeatGeek. Let's, I, I mean, I don't really know where else I would check. I mean, I can check Ticketmaster, I guess. I would say ramblingrec.com, but I, uh, I assume if there's only four listings, then it, it's probably a... Well, that's on SeatGeek. SeatGeek is kind of weird about that. So let's check. Georgia Tech women's basketball. 
Georgia Tech women's basketball. No yeah, they're, they're still selling them on the site. So you uh, you can go through Georgia Tech and uh, hopefully find some for, you know, 10, 10 15 bucks. Like, uh, they're not going to be that expensive, and it's going to be a good game. Yep. In, a, in any capacity, it'll be a good game. Yep, I agree. Let's move on. So you wanna you wanna tell the crowd about what you're upset about this week from the men's uh, basketball program? <laughs> I have a strong uh, you can't control what the officials are doing policy. Um, that I look, think- look, 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 look. He had a dinner reservation to get to. He was just trying to make sure that he got to the restaurant that on time to be respectful. No, 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 no. We can we can talk about TV Teddy and the gang today all we want, but at the end of the day, we also did get outplayed in the second half. And, and sure I think did. That, I think that matters far more than anything we can say about the refs. Was it weird and questionable, like that whole four reviews of one play thing? Yes. Uh, does that were there things that I I thought should have been called more, uh, including traveling uh, and uh, double dribbling and uh, you know dragging your feet across the floor. Um, yes, I, I do. But um, in terms of the UNC game, I don't, I don't think you can point at that and say that is the reason. Uh, and there was a lot more we needed to do to write our own ship uh, before that. So before we dive into UNC and the exact details there, I think it's worth going over the Wisconsin game. Um, that was on Wednesday night at McCamish. It was, sorry, McCamish. I'm working on it. I promise. Yeah. Uh, we'll get it right. One of these days. Yeah. Um, that was a late night game, uh, unveiled the banner for the ACC championship, but um, it was a 70 to 66 final in favor of the visitors. Um, the, the meeting of the two schools that do the Budweiser song uh, as a tradition. So that was interesting, but um, yeah, uh, I, I don't think you can say it was necessarily like a ref ball kind of thing, but Jordan Usher picking up, Several uh, very quick and very uh, ticky-tack fouls early in the game absolutely uh, affected the lineups that we saw, affected the aggression we saw out of the team, uh, and particularly him in the second half. I think uh, not that the team played scared or played light, because that's not fair and probably not an accurate way to describe it. But uh, when you have your your Robin to Michael DeVoe's Batman on the bench um, for, for a lot of a lot of the game, really, uh, makes it tough to to win ball games. I think Wisconsin is a good team, uh, fully worth uh, the top 25 consideration and all that. But um, especially with such a great performance out of, out of DeVoe, a monster block. I think that was by Debo Coleman, but um, DeVoe played one of the best single uh, person performances. I think we've seen in a long time at tech, but it just, it's just not enough if, if shots aren't falling for anyone else. And, and granted, um, we did we did have other players contributing. Khalid Moore has really had a nice couple of game runs for himself. But uh, the offense was stagnant in the post. Uh, that hurt. Miles um, Kelly just seems just a, a, a hair off on, on a lot of things. And, and those shots are going to fall. Those shots are going to fall. And that's why I still believe that this team's going to get better. But um, kind of a... <laughs> Kind of a, a bit of a left turn from your original question, but in terms of Wisconsin, close game. Uh, Tech did fight back from a ten-point hole uh, relatively late in the in the second half, and I don't know. It shows the team's got heart, um, but it there needs to be some sort of offensive shakeup or, or helping or, or consistency more outside of one Mister uh, Michael Tavo. 
Yeah. Uh, and that became very apparent in about an eight minute stretch of this UNC game, right. Coming right out of the half where tech struggled to move the bar, uh, struggled to move the ball around the court uh, and struggled to move the ball into the, into the paint. And UNC was really able to take advantage and force a lot, a lot of bad shots. And not just were they bad. It, sometimes if you take bad shots, they'll fall in, you'll get lucky. And that's kind of what happened for good stretches of that first half. I mean, Tech was shooting from, uh, Tech was shooting about like what, 80% from three in that first half. And then, uh, and then just, that just fell off of a cliff. It was not going to be sustainable and it wasn't sustainable when the second half opened. So there needs to be some sort of secondary consistent scoring threat on this team. And whether it's inside in the post playing your usual traditional bully basketball in the paint, or it's someone else that can really make threes at a consistent clip. And I think Khalid Moore was doing that at a pretty good clip earlier, earlier today, along with a bunch of others, but then there was nothing for eight for like an eight minute stretch. You have well, to, you have to not have an, a, a long stretch like that where you're just, com- you're getting forced outside and cannot make a rhythm starting or a rhythm creating basket. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you can rely on, on Kyle Moore to be your second score. And I don't think you should. Um, but that being said, like I said, with Miles Kelly, he's going to get there. I, I believe that he's, he's too talented for those shots not to fall. He, we, we haven't seen a, uh, a breakout game for him yet. Debo Coleman arguably could be seeing more playing time. I'm, I'm not the coach. I'm not going to make those decisions or anything like that, but he's looked, good with with the amount of touches that he's gotten um and and i don't know i I think those improvements are going to be there but it also comes hand in hand with uh, so much of our offense is get the ball to rodney howard and then kind of dies at the post And, and and earlier in the year we were seeing him take more shots but up against a bigger more physical wisconsin and a bigger more physical um unc team it just hasn't been there to to work the pain and, and work it through him as much as you know a Moses Wright, uh, peak Ben Lammers, uh, James Banks with the, uh, you know the, all the the great work that those those three have done over the past or ten years. Um, I think, uh, I think it's interesting. I, I think the 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 obviously the stakes of games are all important, and you you want to win the Wisconsin game as much as you want against UNC, but. This is the first loss I think today that's really felt like a like a loss, for lack of better terms. Obviously, you don't want to lose to Miami. Like Ohio. a deflating, like a deflating one. Yes, yes, exactly. Like like in in Miami, you, and, and frankly, Jordan Usher's shot not falling at the end against Wisconsin to take the lead. Like that is that is something that you go and you say, well, like it, basketball's a, a game of a lot of random occurrences, and you know, if a couple bounce our ways and we win. I don't think you can say the same thing about this game. We got outplayed. Uh, there were defensive things that we needed to tighten up, but defensive things that worked, right? So uh, Passner talks about getting old and staying old, but even with the experience of DeVoe, with the experience of Usher, with Parham hopefully back after Christmas, as uh, as Coach Passner noted uh, in his media availability this week, um, like those are, those are old players, but 
Rodney Howard has not been a consistent getter of minutes uh, at all until this year. Um, you know, Kyle Sturdivant's having to fill some new shoes. Uh, you're seeing Colin Moore with more playing time. You're seeing Debo and, and Miles need to work it in there too. And, and I, I don't know. I, I think we're at the point where we can say we, at least for me, I don't want to speak for you, but like I trust the staff to make changes and, and for players to get better and, you know, with, with more time or more uh, availability for that to happen, I think it very much could, but yeah. yeah, That's kind of the the rambly, like I, I want to be positive, but today definitely was tough. Yeah, today was not, today was not fun for the same reason that the whenever one of the big name tobacco road teams plays in Atlanta is not fun. And I think everyone knows what I mean by that. And so I'm going to stop that right there. Um, I want to note one thing. Um, and this is not to uh, condemn or be rude about anything in our particular fan base, but I will note, and maybe this is just me not being used to having crowds back in the stands again, but it seemed like Wisconsin turned out incredibly well and North Carolina turned out incredibly well. And maybe it's a, it's December. Uh, people are busy pre-holiday stuff and they'll, they'll turn out in the spring, but just seemed like there was a lot of red um, last week. And then a lot of uh, baby blue, sky blue, whatever that color color is today. Like that's just it was a bad shade of blue. Yes. It was, it was not a quite as, as friendly of an atmosphere. I'd say definitely today. I mean, with finals starting, I don't, I don't blame people for, for needing to study at 3 PM on a Sunday and you can't put 2000 students in a 900 student usual allocation every game. Like that's not sustainable or not, not going to happen every day, but uh, we, we can talk about the thriller dome being electric on Wednesday because it was, it was a lot of fun to be at that game. Uh, The crowd was into it. The fans were into it, but you know, I, I don't know. Is it people, is it, this is me conjecturing a little bit here. Is it people going, Hey, like I'm just not enthused right now because there's, there's plenty to be enthused about. And even with this team being five and three probably could be obviously be a little bit better, but um, there's a lot to like about what's going on on the flats. And if there's a general self-selection out of that interest or out of that pool because of certain other sports and expectations there, then I think that's a, that's a big travesty because you missed out on women's basketball, having a great opportunity with UConn. You miss out on supporting volleyball or or seeing a good game like we saw this week twice. So you're really using that self-select phrasing a lot today. I'm just, just going to point that out. Um, I, I think you're on to something potentially about other sports affecting it. And we're going to get into the other sport in a bit, but I think you also have to consider the pandemic isn't necessarily over, right? So that is driving some attendance decline. Attendance for sports in general has been in decline the last couple of years. Um, I'm not saying that this specifically is an instance of that, but that is a, that's also something that's driving some of the, some of the empty seats um, or, or even seats that are going to other fans. And then at the same time, you have the age-old problem of Atlanta being a city of transplants, right? So you have, and I think that part, and then also the, um, and also the COVID part, I think are really driving some of those attendance quirks, at least for the <laughs> non-student attendance. 
for the student attendance. Student attendance looked fine today. I, I was student really students. Uh, students filled up like the nine hundred seat allotment. It looked yeah. like it probably a little yeah, bit absolutely. But but my I don't I don't think you can pin Atlanta's a city of transplants on the changes of the Georgia Tech attendance in basketball from twenty nineteen to twenty twenty one. I'm sorry, we're coming off an ACC championship. This team is compelling. Uh, it, well, okay, it so so fine. That's why I listed it last. Ban weeds. I I I, I I'm hopeful that as ACC play starts that we'll we'll see a little bit more there I, I listed it last for a reason I I have it's definitely COVID it, it's more COVID than other team related stuff and I can empathize with that at least fair. is that fair is that fair it did it just has felt like a lot of away fans in our building and even with like Belmont and stuff like that for the women's game. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's me writing too much into some of this stuff. We'll see. Uh, I think I'm still scarred from, uh, from football the week before last. Um, Probably. And and that's, you know, that's life there, but yeah. A quick note, uh, uh, men's basketball back in action on the 11th. I think that is Saturday. Yes. yes, it is next Saturday versus LSU. That's a 6 p.m. tip on ESPN2. That is not at McCamish, but that McCamish, McCamish, McCamish Arena, McCamish Pavilion. Um, that is at State Farm Arena for holiday hoops giving um, that event. I don't know if that's a tournament or just like a marathon kind of deal. Showcase, just a showcase. Yeah. One thing I do want to note, uh, LSU is undefeated. That's kind of scary. Remember when LSU had Ben Simmons and was still mediocre? Nah, I don't follow SEC basketball. Not worth my time. It's not elite basketball. Nah, that's uh, that's uh, that's the truth right there. But no, they are undefeated. Uh, definitely a team to watch out for. Hopefully, we come back uh, and play play a good game. I think holiday hoops giving uh, an empty one was uh, when we played Kentucky last year. So. Hoping for a repeat of that because that Did was a we do season holder ticket holders get tickets to that or that's a great question because if not we'll, I need to go buy some of those but we'll we'll figure that out offline. Uh, State Farm Arena is a nice venue. Um, I've been there since the renovation, so yeah, we we neither have I. Um, let's move on to the team that we were alluding to negatively in the last segment. The football team is back in the news. They have hired. Chip Long, formerly of Tulane, as their offensive coordinator. I don't really have a lot of notes on this at the time right now. I think the news went official a couple of hours ago, and I wanted to do some more numbers and advanced stats analysis before making like a firm yes, no, good, bad. Uh, I know Robert, uh, who was our other advanced stats expert, is also doing some analysis, and I think he'll have something out later this week. What is your instant reaction? Hey, I get it. I see the numbers that this site does when there are coordinator questions. I see the traffic that happens on recruit announcements and and stuff like that. I get it. It is some people's cup of tea. Going to be completely honest. It's not mine. And and granted, I do have more interest in in some of the coaching stuff, but uh, I don't know. I don't have a strong opinion on it because I don't really have a lot of say in, in, in who gets hired. And, uh, you know, I was, I was busy thinking about women's basketball 
at men's basketball and volleyball this week. And you might be the only person, one of very few people in the Georgia Tech sports universe that can say that with a straight face. Yeah, no, I, not that I don't care because that's, that's the wrong way to put it, but I just can't affect it. I don't want to worry about it. And, uh, you know, I had to preview volleyball two times this week and, and we'll talk about them last to, to cap off the show. So stick around for that. But, but in terms of general thoughts, now that it's been announced, um, I think it's worthwhile that, that we're going to have to take some time to dig into some of the advanced stats and things like that. But, you know, I, there were, there were names that I had heard tossed around and familiar names, unfamiliar names. Um, I, I do know a, a thing or two about Tulane this year and, and other offenses in the past that Chip Long has run. And I don't know. It just, it, I, I'm not going to use the phrase shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic because fun fact, the, the deck chairs on the Titanic actually had dedicated spots that they needed to be in. Um, but uh, God, I, oh, I hate that you know that. I listened oh. to a five and a half hour podcast on the sinking of the Titanic like two weeks ago. It was ridiculous. But um, please finish your thought before. My, my thought being like, I don't not like it. I kind of like it. I, I got a soft spot for Tulane, even though they were could have been better this year. I think I think him with more chip long with more talent could do do good things. But it's going to require um, scheming to the personnel, I, I think, in ways that maybe we haven't seen in the past and. I don't know. I'm, I'm eager to hear what he says uh, in particular in, in media availability and things like that, um, that would maybe give me more of a sense of his philosophy and, and how he plans to approach the Georgia Tech uh, situation rather than just a general uh, conjecturing onto, onto this man. Because at the end of the day, I, I, I do like hearing from, from whether it's you know, Jeff Collins or Coach Collier in uh, in volleyball or, or whatever that is. Uh, I don't know. I, I do like hearing from the source about philosophy and stuff like that. So here's my thesis, and I'm going to try to put this in at least the initial thesis. I'm going to try to put this as concisely and as simply as I can. I think there were other candidates on the board that I would have preferred. However, if Georgia Tech Athletics thinks that this is the person to uh, to turn, you know, turn what has been a kind of scuffling offense around and what looks to be a very important year in 2022, um, let's give it a spin and see what happens. That's all I got. I, I think I really want to look at look at some of the numbers. I want to do some some comparative analysis on what we ha- uh, on what the offense looked like under under Dave Patnode and where um, Chip Long has been. So that'll include Notre Dame. Uh, he was there. He was a Broyles Award finalist in at Notre Dame in 2018, uh, and then he was at Tulane last year, or I guess this year. So I want to do some analysis on what his offenses have looked like. Um, and, and also, you know, be, be at least better informed and better prepared to, to discuss something like that before I give like an overarching take. Yeah. Uh, I do have one question that I just thought of while I was sitting here. In your opinion or, or your thoughts, your gut reaction, is this a Nate Woody situation? I, I'm going to need you to explain the, the, the definition of that. Granted, at the time, there wasn't necessarily a sense of like, 
Paul Johnson needs to nail this higher and, and like this is the sinking ship type thing that I've heard tossed around a lot, which gosh, the, the more that's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, which is why I have an issue with, with terms like that. But, but deck chairs on the Titanic, et cetera, et cetera. Blah, blah, okay. blah. Look, you can um, go back to the five hour podcast later. It, if, if there is a window here, like, like how do we see, I guess it's not really a one-to-one comparison based on the program state and, and just what he's inheriting and, and, and things like that. But I, I don't know, like it is, is there a place where we can say, yes, this unit sees meaningful improvement? Because I feel like that's pretty true of, of Roof to Woody. Um, I thought mm-hmm. Nate Woody did a, a, a fine job, not like world beater, but a fine job. Um, respectable job. Respectable job. I would have liked to see him around for another year if, if this, the system hadn't changed all around him. But uh, like, it, do we live in a world where Chip Long can do a fine job and like that is okay? Like, I, that's kind of a lame question, but so, and and this is why, this is why I wanted to get into the stats because I think some comparative analysis between his before and after, or or looking at his before and afters at Tulane and looking at his before and afters at Notre Dame will provide some insight into that. Um, My thing with this though, is if it, a good job. How do you evaluate the success of an offensive coordinator? You evaluate them based on the efficiency and effectiveness of their offense, right? Georgia Tech in year four of Jeff Collins needs to show significant progress, not just proof of concept, but progress. It needs to show, and because it did not necessarily show proof of concept in year three, it needs to also show proof of concept in four. And then also show progress, right? Yep. How do you define those two terms? The way that I look at it, at least from my very high level in a general sense, is significant increases in in SP plus um, ratings in, in those rankings, and then significant increases or decreases depending on the on the side of the ball in EPA per play, uh, adjusted or unadjusted. I think looking at offensive S and P. And looking at EPA per play for an offensive coordinator and how those two, two things have changed before and after his tenure. And even if you want to take a longer time scale before and after his recruiting effect, I think those are the two things to look at. However, I'm shooting from the hip here. It's not analysis that I've done. It's not really a situation that either of us have experienced, right? Because Paul Johnson was the offensive coordinator for so long. He didn't need, he didn't hire a separate guy. And, um, and, and then Jeff Collins said they've had them for, for the last three years. So this is sort of a transition transition moment that neither of us have really experienced. We don't really have a lot of existing contextual data to go off of. So it's kind of a wait and see and do some basic data analysis, but as with all coaching hires, it's kind of a coin flip, whether it's going to be successful or not. Yeah. I think that's a fair place to leave it at. Okay. I think we should move on. We have the most important topic to talk about uh, of this week, the women's volleyball team. We are already at one hour, at least on my recording timer, but this team has 
I don't think I have the words to describe how fun they have been this season. And I want to give them as much time as they are due uh, to talk about their weekend. So let's start with what happened at O'Keefe this past weekend in the Atlanta regional. Is it a regional or is it a host site? I've never actually nailed down these names. It's a host site. The, um, the regional is the Louisville regional that we're currently playing in. And we can get to them in a little bit because that'll we'll, be, we'll get there. Uh, a surprise and delight. Surprise and delight. So the two games uh, tech started off its NCAA tournament journey versus the Citadel. They swept the Citadel in three sets. Uh, and then they advanced to round two, the round of 32 versus Western Kentucky. They also swept Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky had beat, beaten South Carolina, who uh, from anecdotal reports from some other people that had attended that game, South Carolina fans were just happy to be here. So uh, <laughs> yep. interesting, interesting note. So where do you want to start talking about these two games? They're sweeps, right? I can read out the line scores. I, I have to pull them up. But they, both of them were sweeps, but I think we both had some thoughts on how those sweeps got there. Yeah, um, I think it's definitely kind of deceiving to look at them and be like, oh, sweeps. Oh, not uh, not major. It was conflict. not. They were not dominating performances like yeah. we've seen. Like they ended the season. Tech ended the season with two dominating performances. They dumpstered Clemson and Florida State. And Florida State's a good team. They and Florida good. State is a tournament team. They got dumpstered by Nebraska, but in the second round. But point being, it, it's not like it, it's those, these performances were not like those. They made it to the tournament and won a game. Point. Um, and that's the thing too is at that point, at the end of the year, Clemson's playing out the schedule. Florida State knows they're in. They're a top fifteen RPI team. It's Thanksgiving weekend. Like it, you're just trying not to get injured at that point. And I think it's it's worth noting that that Georgia Tech did get the job done. They did not drop a set in either games. Um, and you know they they were effective. Um, that being said, the Citadel is inarguably the worst team Georgia Tech played all year, and a sweep by is far. Hard. Yes, like by, by, by a good margin, because they you said they were like two hundred and fortieth something in RPI. UVA was the second lowest at one ninety six. Yeah, but um, this all comes with the 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 inevitable but here. Georgia Tech dominated Virginia when we played them in their building. Um, the Citadel, obviously, every there are no easy outs in the NCAA tournament. The Citadel was playing their best volleyball all year. Had won many in a row, including sweeping through the SOCON tournament as the seventh seed uh, to even qualify for the tournament. So they are playing quite literally their Super Bowl. Georgia Tech was the best team by far uh, that they had played. Um, I believe the only team above uh, 100 in the RPI that the Citadel had played all year, if I remember my own recap right. But um, And then they came out playing like they wanted to win. Uh, their attack percentage in the first set was 314. Um, that means they're coming out. They're not making a lot of errors. Um, I mean, if you look at those in total, they only had three in the first set, and it was close. Georgia Tech needed uh, needed every point they got, right? Um, they did wind up winning 25-21 in the first set, uh, but Citadel came out, came out hard, came out strong. Uh, Georgia Tech was able to pull away, but it never really got all that far apart. And, and I think 
even even looking at the second set, which was a lot more, it was 25-15. Um, I guess, I guess, yes, tech tech did pull away from about a 15-12 margin, 14-12 margin, um, to, to really hammer home down the stretch. But the, the Citadel did not go quietly in this match, I think is the is the overwhelming thing there. It's worth noting that they brought a hundred cadets who were loud and into the game. Um, that has to help. Uh, they put on a spelling bee. Um, I really know how to spell the Citadel well now. Um, so thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and then in the third, you know, the Citadel was leading the majority of the set, I think until what, like 1919. Oh God. I have to, I have to pull up the race plot now. Hold on. You keep talking. Yeah. Oh, also plugging Akshay on that. He, uh, and uh, some colleagues uh, who do some work with R and advanced stats have been able to scrape box scores. So now we now we have some advanced stats in the works. So that's fun. But um, no, Georgia Tech uh, Georgia Tech earned that win against the Citadel, and I mean, not that not that anyone was surprised because Georgia Tech's a great team. But you know, there are no easy outs in the NCAA tournament. The Citadel was playing like they wanted it, and. They very nearly uh, took the third set, which was decided by a score of 28-26. They did force a set point at 26-25 before Tech ra- uh, rattled off three straight points to uh, to win it and end it. Yeah, so just to review the race plot here. So the first set was very close. It took Tech until I think about like five points in to really break, break it open and create some breathing room. Uh, second set was not close. I think Tech basically laid the gas on here. And then the third set was basically, Citadel was ahead for a good chunk of this. The Tech didn't edge forward until, you're right, right about 1919. And then they got to 21st, looks like. Um, and then... They, they could not finish the drill at 24, if I remember correctly. Yep. Right. There's four straight yeah. match points or something like that. Like multiple straight match points that Tech could not finish. They kept getting block aired or attack aired on. Uh, and then Citadel brought it back to 24-24. And then they were locked and locked and locked. You talked about uh, 26-25 uh, set point for the Citadel, which Tech then cashed in by uh, – uh, by turning in two points, two or three points of their own to finally take the match. But for a while there, that late part of that late part of that set, that late part of that third set, it got a little Atlanta sportsy. I got I got the vapors there. It's, you're still up two sets to nothing there. And and one thing I do want to point out uh, in terms of uh, just looking at the race plots versus versus kind of the Jake words definition. It's a little bit deceiving sometimes uh, to to look at stuff in a purely incremental fashion, because you're right. The second set did feel more like a kind of I guess it sounds arrogant to say what we expected, but what we expected. Um, But the first set and the second set both went to the 15 point media break at 15, 12 in favor of tech. But it is very much true, I think, that that it felt uh, a lot closer uh, in the first set than it did in the second. And, and obviously the, the results played out that way, but it just, just an interesting tidbit as well on that. Yeah. See, again, the science of Southland podcast is a marriage of college athletics numbers and words, as I've always said. Ah, yeah. My, uh, 
my favorite podcast that's a marriage of numbers and words but um no i do so, miss, i do miss papn for the record anyone out there who remembers but go ahead akshay so let's shift gears to talking about the western kentucky game and the point of emphasis that i want to start out with here is that both of these teams played the game more or less the same way. The game plan seemed really, really consistent from game to game. They both aimed to win on the blocks, which was an adjustment that we've been seeing teams make against Tech starting in that first ACC weekend uh, yep. versus Notre Dame. Uh, they attempted to hold serve, which sounds obvious from like a volleyball strategy standpoint, but Tech is really good at generating service points and getting in rhythm and making you and playing really fast and stretching you out vertically, uh, especially with Brebia coming in and knocking the absolute crap out of balls and trying to nail girls on the other team in the face, which happened like twice in this weekend. Uh, and holding serve also gives you another advantage, which is you can target the exact same people in the uh, on serves and both Western Kentucky and the Citadel targeted uh, uh, Paola Pimentel, Julia Bergman and Bianca Bertolino repeatedly in the corners when they were serving. And it's something that I continue to notice. Obviously, it, it's one thing where we talk about in soccer, the first time that you see something, it's a mistake. The first time you see a player do something weird, it's a mistake. But the second time you see some, them do something weird, it's a pattern. And the third time you, that you see them do something weird, it's a tactic, right? That's what it felt like to me, that this was a specific game plan that both teams had put together. They had watched the tape on this team and said, here are the places that we need to do well. Here are the players that we need to target on serves. They, we know that they are not as good at receiving the ball as their other teammates are. Make them receive the ball and then act a and try to make Georgia Tech build uh, rallies off of that. I don't think it's a coincidence either that there were several times in the first uh, the first match that uh, Bergman would really stick out her neck to to go grab a ball on on, on a serve or a, or a hit that maybe uh, in in another game she just kind of lets lie or lets uh, teammates take care of it. So not not trying to you know say anything about that, but it, it was a oh like they're aware they were aware. I, I think yeah. it's, it's pretty clear there. So there there were definitely. And I think we noted this while we were watching the game too. There were a couple communication issues that Julie Bergman thing was very aware. I don't know if it, if it was a communication issue or if it was a consistent positioning issue, maybe something tactically that tech was trying to do to maybe break, uh, break their opponents out of their rhythm at targeting specific players on serves. But that's something that you saw repeatedly where uh, there are players that were sort of hero balling their way to serve receptions. Uh, and, and it was strange for a team that is pretty clean when it comes to that sort of stuff. It was strange to see. Yeah. Um, speaking of other things uh, that uh, we can talk about in terms of opponent game plan, it is worth noting that for Western Kentucky, it worked out of the gate. Oh, um, yes. They racked five, up one hole, six, two hole real fast. Uh, out of the gate in that set. And it was particularly close the rest of the way, but Western Kentucky came out with a plan and it, it really took, um, I, I pulled up the race plot on my end now. Um, 
you'll notice at 10-8, I think in about maybe 10 match actions, right? So that is a collection of, of you know, it's things rallies, rallies, like digs and kills yeah. and, yeah. and sets like, and all that fun stuff. Yes. Uh, Tech nails four straight points and, and they don't look back after that, but that is a, hey, like we need to do something and it's them capitalizing on uh, on holding service and, and there, there's, you know, obviously there's, there's rallies and, and game flow that come with that. But I don't think you can, you could deny that once this team catches fire, uh, I think we've seen throughout the year that they do do a good job of, you know, capitalizing on, on making those adjustments. And uh, I mean, if, if any, if any staff has proven to us over the years that they are more than capable of that, it's this one, but, but going on a nice uh, one, two, three, four, yeah, five, five point run. That puts you right back in the game. And, and I think that was emblematic kind of of what tech was trying to do. Uh, yeah. Taking advantage of a top 20 team. Cause let's be real coming into this match, Western Kentucky top 20 RPI have won almost 50 conference games in a row have won 21 straight this year. This was not a bad opponent. This was not this at was, all a, a unworthy to be here opponent. This is a great team that they played and they played well. Yeah. And this is something that you mentioned when we saw the draw, I think when we first looked at the draw and then something you mentioned over the course of the week, Western Kentucky had a lot of Loyola Marymount vibes from when Loyola Chicago vibes. Loyola Chicago. They're the, they both have Loyola in the name. They're basically the same thing. Um, Loyola Chicago vibes from, uh, from the men's basketball's uh, one game in last year's NCAA basketball tournament where they were criminally underseeded and got slated into a matchup versus an ACC opponent. This seems like a similar situation. Obviously you're talking about the CUSA um, and the strength of schedule there. And I mean, Western Kentucky going undefeated for what, four or five years in, in that conference. It, it's, it's kind of ridiculous how dominant their stretch has been and they came to play, right? You, you talked about them coming out hot and they if they had kept up that game plan and tech had not adjusted, I think during that, during that first set break after that first set, I think this would have been a much more competitive later stages of the match as time wore on, but it was hot. It was humid. The crowd was in a frenzy for most of the night. Um, And it was a much less half and half crowd. It was a much less divided crowd than it was versus the Citadel which I think think also helped because you have a hundred something cadets from the Citadel who were, I don't know if they were required to be there, but there are a hundred cadets who have uh, been partaking in the specific uh, concessions offerings that uh, O'Keefe has available for purchase. Uh, and also they, they were riding a hot streak, right? They oh, were yeah. riding a hot streak from uh, of, a, of a really competitive volleyball team that had basically burn their way all the way through the big South tournament to an auto bid and right into the tournament, right into the full tournament. And it, and Western Kentucky just did not have that same amount of crowd support and was not able to play off of that in an already hostile environment. And I think between the humidity, which I honestly do think was a factor because that place was hot. It was steamy. 
in O'Keefe that the ACs were not on. I don't know if that's by design or, or that's just what happened. Between the humidity and between between tech making adjustments, Western Kentucky just kind of faded down the stretch. Uh, yeah, the, um, like set two, set two after it went to like six six was not close, um, and set three was not close until the very end when um, <laughs> when things got a little squirrely late with, and came within a couple points. But again, I I disagree with the characterist the characterization of set three. That was more of less of a it wasn't close. It was more of Western Kentucky is a good team that wanted to win. Um, never count out a team that believes in themselves, a, a talented team. Um, and, and the fact that it was within two uh, at, at 25-23, I believe was the final, but don't quote me on that. I'm uh, it was. scrolling around. I'm pretty um, sure it was. Uh, That's what I have in front of me, at least. Yeah. Tech's, Tech's lead was like six or seven in the middle of the match, but but by the, by the, by the closing stages, it was down to two or three. And that when you're that close in volleyball, it's not a coin flip, but it all you need is is a little bit of a streak, and and they were able to do that. They they came very close to to forcing extra points and, and maybe another set. But I, you know, Georgia Tech Georgia Tech was able to take advantage of it, and that's the the significant takeaway. And and one of the things that and one of the things I really recognized watching this game in person for one of the first times this year is that Tech loves to play fast and i think that it goes back to something you were talking about in that first set versus western kentucky where they rattled off those points after being uh, like four or five or six points after being down for most of the set already they all those all those were off either aces or very quick rallies where they just did not let western kentucky get set and you know, as the rally develops, Western Kentucky has a, has a chance to take a little bit of control, assert their, you know, assert their spacing and make tech, make tech move around uh, as much during the rally and during uh, and during play. Tech played fast. They played very aggressive um, and, and it worked out, especially like we like we're saying in that in that first set where they had to come back and, and assert control. Yeah. Uh, and one thing I do want to note there, we, we noted it last week, I believe, um, talking about some of the changes we saw in the offense for Clemson and Florida State uh, to to account for things that Louisville and Pitt were able to take advantage of. But we saw, uh, particularly as the sets got later in, in the Western Kentucky game of uh, tech taking advantage of the middles, uh, Moss and Morissette, even if it doesn't show up on the score, uh, she nearly uh, quite in the same way as, as you know, the, the Bertolino and Bergman and Brambilla uh, attack. Uh, I, I would definitely say the the middle, the middle is coming into form. And again, you got to think this is uh, for a lot of teams a, a really big deal, and it can be a nerve wracking experience too, especially uh, especially hosting the postseason. So hopefully, it's a now we're playing with house money. They're they're a team that has lived up to their own expectations and i think they could they could uh pursue accordingly from here absolutely so let's set the table for this weekend the last note that or this coming weekend the last note that i have on this weekend is that for the first time ever i I think in both of our tech event going careers the team the coaches and then the administrators that were in attendance at o'keefe on on Saturday night, did the horse after the game. I've never seen that. I've never, ever seen that. And it was just a very cool moment. And it's, it's one that, I, honestly, I think that'll become one of the most iconic 
things that we think about when it comes to when it comes to this tournament run is that the team, the coaches, the administrators all realize that how important the band box, the literal band, and then the band box metaphor of O'Keefe Jim was important to their success this season. And, you know, you get that just amazing moment, the really cool moment uh, on the court, their last game there this season. I've got a question for you. Oh God. And and it's a, we're going to plan the podcast out loud right here, right now. Do we save the discussion for the NCAA neutral site rules uh, for the off season, or can we unbox that right here, right now? Um, I believe you're referring to, so to set the table, you're referring to the announcer not being able to say point tech, the band not being able to play the fight song. They played the fight song during after TV the last whistle. No, they only played it after the final whistle. Okay. They only played it twice in the entire weekend. And both was after the, the win and after the, the TV was done. Okay. Uh, apparently I don't keep band analytics. So that's something I'm going to have to add to my repertoire. Okay. So I don't think we need to have a referendum on them, but also just call them regionals. Don't call them host sites, call them regionals and just let it be a, a home environment. I, think I mean, I would take. also note that the Citadel student allotment was the same size as the tech one. And that's kind of a, a bit, a bit much. They had a hundred cadets there and a hundred tickets available on Friday night to tech students. But um, I, I think I'm, well, still, well, well, I'm well. still scarred from 2019 Auburn baseball terribleness. Uh, if, if you are good enough that you have earned the right to have a home match, call it what it is. Just let it be a home match. It's so, not like it's going to be that much friendlier to the away team. So here, here's the weird part. And I actually, this segues into the point that I was about to tee up before I dived into this tangent. When Tech hosted a regional pot, whatever the heck they're calling this, where they were a host site for the first round in 2004, they were not the national seed in that pod. It was actually UC Santa Barbara. UC Santa Barbara was the number 13 national seed in that pod. So it's weird that like, I, I, I think you apply for the pods ahead of time and then they're allocated. I, I, I don't know how it works. And I, I don't like that. It comes down to this. Uh, I, I can see the cogs turning in your head and also your eyes preparing to roll right into the back of your skull. I just think the thing that makes college sports special is all the stuff that comes with doing college sports. And, and we can, we can talk about football playoff expansion too, about whether having all those games at neutral sites. Not today. Not not today. Not today. I I just think if it's going to be a, a, I would rather play Louisville in their home gym and feel like it's a a thing. You know what I mean? That's a fun place to play. O'Keefe's a great place to play. And, and to everyone's credit, again, having those games here uh, was something that is a pretty unique experience. And I think elevated the very unique uh, events or, you know, situation that is O'Keefe Jim. So great to see uh, everyone put on a great show and, and it was great to see tech come out on top. Okay. So now we get to do the set dressing for next weekend, which I think is more fun because number one, 
This is Tech's first Sweet 16 berth in the NCAA tournament since that 2004 team that we talked about, or, or I just talked about. To my knowledge, they have never advanced past this round. Nope. Elite Eight, 2003. Uh, wait, oh, they did advance in 2003? Yes, to the Elite okay. Eight. Okay, so I should have let him write these notes then. They advanced to the Elite Eight in 2003. In 2004, they lost to eventual, eventual national runner-up Minnesota in five sets in the Minneapolis Regional. Uh, their path in 2004... Uh, like I said, they were a host site despite not being the national seed at that host site. Uh, they swept clean old fashioned hate, a tournament brand of clean old fashioned hate. Uh, they swept the national seed number 13, uh, UC Santa Barbara in the site final. And then the aforementioned lost to national number four, Minnesota in five sets. So where, sir, does that leave us this week? You might ask. Georgia Tech will play number nine national seed Ohio State in Louisville in the Sweet 16. That will be on Thursday, December 9th at 3 p.m. on ESPN+. The winner will play the winner of Florida and Louisville. Uh, the Florida-Louisville game is on Thursday uh, as well, but that is the early game at 1 p.m. Eastern on ESPNU. Set the table for me. Honestly, regional. Honestly, it's kind of a crying shame that the number one team in the country has to play a 1 p.m. game on uh, on a Thursday because their fans deserve to see some Sweet 16 action. Um, so that's sad. But um, Florida Louisville, maybe that gives Florida an opening. You know, I, I assume the, the place should be pretty full. But you know, if you're if you got a nine to five, uh, a little bit tough to get. Uh, get to the game at one and who knows what it'll look like, like bleh, look like for Ohio state versus tech at 3 PM. Uh, it is worth note, noting that is on ESPN plus uh, one of two games in the sweet 16 or elite eight rounds. Now that those have been announced times and uh, times and channels to not be on ESPNU, uh, which is a little bit of uh, a little bit annoying uh, should, should probably have those on the U or, or something along those lines. But um, yeah, Tech drawing the late game, you have that question in there. With Tech playing at 3 p.m., I don't think it's really a uh, that much of an advantage for Tech to be playing later. Um, the, the one thing that it may give them is at least knowing who their opponent is going to be. But again, you got to get through Ohio State first. So uh, Ohio State matches up pretty interesting, interestingly with Tech. We can kind of dive in on the specifics there. But Florida's, Florida's not a bad team. They're the number 16 national seed. Um but, uh, you know, maybe maybe they have a little bit more of an opening because they're playing at 1 p.m. and maybe it's less raucous. But, you know, that's that's a tough draw for them. And, and Louisville's looked amazing all year. They're undefeated 28-0. So, or, well, I guess 30-0 now. But it's it's not often you see a team get to, to you know, 30 wins in, in this sport with if you're not one of the best uh, in the country. So I'm just – I'm still just – dumbstruck by the scheduling here so so let's just here so let me go through the schedule of games for thursday you start in purdue uh byu at purdue at 11 a.m eastern which is rough that's just rough um let's see there's okay so there's no other game at 11 a.m eastern then you go to pittsburgh kansas which is at one louisville florida is at one uh, I think that's it for one o'clock. 
then Ohio State, Georgia Tech is at three, three. I can do numbers with my hands. Uh, Baylor, Minnesota is at three. UCLA, Wisconsin is at five. Washington, Texas is at 730. And then Illinois, Nebraska, for some godforsaken reason, is at 930, which I guess is 830 Central. 830 Central. But also, like, why is Texas on at 630 Central? I don't know. Why it's not a bad time? Why is Wisconsin on at four? Why is Wisconsin on at four central? Why is Minnesota on at two central? I think I think for the sake of the sport, like especially because it's a third random Thursday, it would be better. Maybe maybe less games would be on TV to have them all stacked in prime time. Uh, now that I think that out loud, but I don't know. It's just Look, just a weird weird schedule altogether. It is a and legitimate. They're not all on TV. But it's a legitimate crime, a crime against humanity that Purdue is playing a volleyball game at 10 a.m. Local. Yeah. That is a crime against humanity. I'm not sorry. for not saying that BYU is going to get dumpstered or anything, but like playing a competitive volleyball game at 10 a.m. Like this is a body clock situation. We had this conversation about Stanford and Northwestern a couple years ago when they played in football in, in Chicago. This is this is dumb. I don't like this. This game, like this BYU Purdue game, should be like a a six six thirty tip. Yeah, I mean, I I I did see a suggestion floating around out there. Um, stagger one three five seven on one channel, and then like two five six eight on on news or, or the U or whatever. Um, so credit to the, the Twitter account that I saw that from. I think it was something random, but uh, it, it's just weird. Like they, they go head to head. There's off hour starts. It's it's all over the place. Um, looking at Saturday, we do have the old uh, 8, uh, 8 p.m., 10 p.m., 4 p.m., 6 p.m., uh, 6 p.m. being Louisville should tech advance past Ohio State. So at least it'll be, you know, at the exact same time as the basketball game. <laughs> for people that want to watch both. Oh, God, I hate that ESPN has the rights to all of these tournaments because it just just sucks. Like, this it, scheduling just sucks so much. It, and, and that's the thing, too. Literally, same time, 12-11 uh, at 6 p.m. on, on 2 and, and the U, should we should we win, hopefully, on Thursday. But but I think that gets into what we, we started the day with, right? We, we talked about ESPN and, and the, the SEC God. and a uh, big – 10 uh, championship commentary. And, and you look at this and yes, um, having things in, in a predictable spot is, is arguably kind of good, but, um, but at the same time, you know, there, the SEC network and the ACC network exists for reasons. So does the big 10 network uh, for, for ways to get these, these games on television and, and to in front of more eyes. And I think it just goes back in that, that uh, commentary that, we can have plenty of times we've had it before where the fact that women's basketball, uh, softball, volleyball, uh, men's baseball, um, and then obviously the rest of the swimming track, whatever, um, field hockey all get lumped in. I think it does them uh, a disservice for, for just kind of being parts to, to feed the content machine for lack of a better term. And I think, uh, you know, just, just more, access or or even a better contract that would make them more money because uh, they they frankly get are getting lowballed with with the result that that volleyball is getting for for a sport that's really seen a lot of growth um 
I think that's true of, of softball, of women's basketball, of, of women's volleyball and, and, you know, other sports like men's and women's lacrosse, uh, even, even stuff like wrestling is at better TV ratings, swimming, um, baseball, heck, you know, it, a rising tide lifts all ships and getting interest in, in these down the line sports. But I don't know, it, it's tough when you're, you're asking your fans to, if you're a Louisville, a Louisville fan to have to, you know, tune in at 1 PM on a Thursday when you're the number one team in the country in the, in a thing that, you know, for a lot of fans, they could easily access if it was off, off the, the afternoon slate. I don't know. I'm, I'm really far in the weeds on this. We gotta, we gotta take a look. Yeah, I hate to, I hate to, you know, drop kick you off of your soliloquy pedestal, but we do have the actual game to preview as well. I spent a lot of time on these notes. Come on. Hey, I, I taught some stuff in there, and I think it's worth pointing out. Uh, Ohio State comes in with a pretty consistent, uh, similar record to us. They're twenty-five and five overall. Number nine in RPI. That's two spots lower than us. Number nine in the coaches as well. That's four spots higher than us. Um, they've won lot nine of their last ten. But uh, you got any comments on on any of those rankings? Any of that overall stuff? I don't really. I I just the coaches poll is just nonsense at this point it's like it's worse than the football coaches poll at just being consistent and smart and i i just nee, nee, yeah <laughs> i i will say they they agree on the top four but but after that it really it really does get squirrely purdue and purdue and ohio state versus where uh school like tech fell is is pretty interesting to see but um in terms of other notes that we have, uh, we did say nine of the last 10 before the tournament. Uh, it's a, an important clarification to also say that it's nine of the last 12. Uh, that's because they lost the number 12 seed nationally, Minnesota, uh, twice in span, uh, number four seed, Wisconsin. Their best win is against number 10, Purdue. Um, they went one on one against the Boilermakers, won the home legs, uh, lost the away in five. So very tight match. And they're three and four against the top 25 RPI while tech is six and four and with a win over a top three Pittsburgh team. So uh, should match up well, but uh, you know, you can't, you can't use pure RPI nine versus seven to judge just as much as you can say that, that they beat Purdue while we beat Pitt or something like that. Did you say you can't just use just RPI to evaluate teams, sir? Correct. Do I I have some other metrics for you. Uh, I did a little bit of digging this past couple of days uh, on volleyball analytics, as I am wont to do on occasion. Uh, and I found a beautiful, well, beautiful, not web, website wasn't beautiful, but beautiful statistical analysis system uh, called Viper, V-I-P-R. Great name, by the way, um, from a person called Husker Geek. Uh, as we know, Nebraska, very good at volleyball, very crazy about volleyball in the middle of a flyover state. Uh, but man, this guy has all of his systems, all of his data pipelines set up, uh, all based around point ratings, which he classifies as a calculation of each team's per set scoring efficiency, each team's ability to score points and their corresponding propensity to give away points is iteratively compared against their opponents and the team's rating is adjusted. So this is the website that I use for a lot of uh, putting together some of these numbers that I have below. Uh, let's talk about the matchup and just pure overall Viper rating. Uh, Ohio State is number nine 
Tech is number seven. Interesting. Better than the coaches poll at evaluating teams, I might say. Um, uh, at least based on uh, based on what we are able to see. Uh, Ohio State is number sixth uh, sixth in def- in adjusted hit percentage allowed. So they're the number six overall defense uh, in the nation. Uh, and then they are number 13 in adjusted hit percentage. So what they actually generate. If there is a weakness based on the numbers on this Ohio State team, and really they're pretty bulletproof from, from what I saw on the stat sheet, they are 44th in their adjusted block percent allowed. So that's where Tech can do some damage here. Uh, really emphasizing those blocks and really taking advantage of that. Uh, some players to watch. Uh, setter Mac Pedraza uh, has accounted for 12 wins of value based on her setting ability alone. Uh, she's averaging about 0.21 uh, win probability added per set played. Uh, and that pairs very nicely uh, with her defensive specialist counterpart, Kylie Murr, who has 13 wins of value uh, alone, uh, just on based on her defense, uh, which is 0.14 per set played overall. Really, really good team. Really, really numbers-wise good team. Like I said, basically bulletproof other than on the blocks. Uh, it'll be a really, really tight matchup. Yeah. Um, I, I think the the advanced stats indicate as much, and and, and that advanced ma- stats, volleyball analytics, it they're does happening. Match, it does match the kind of uh, you know resume and and uh, strength of schedule type inclinations that you can have too, and, and I think that's the most powerful uh, argument for the validity of advanced stats in general is is when they when they match what you can see and think and. Uh, observe from from traditional metrics or from the eye test or from who you played stuff like that. Ohio State's played them, you know. Like maybe they don't have the unlike the peak un- win that we do, but pretty close. Un- unlike uh, you know the football team that inhabits Athens, they Ohio State actually has played somebody. <laughs> that is fair. Um, I don't know if I noted this. Uh, I did want to say one more time, Tech's been tested six and four against the top 25 in the RPI. Uh, Ohio State is three and four against that. But uh, there's no slouching. Uh, It's going to be meat grinders from here the way on out. Uh, Florida winning versus Louisville does not. Massive upset, by the way. It would be massive upset. Massive. does not necessarily mean that our path would suddenly come wide open, right? If we beat Ohio State, Whatever, whatever we're seeing, whether it's same old, same old from Louisville, uh, who did sweep us twice this year, it is worth acknowledging, uh, or uh, or be that from, you know, the the other uh, the other outcome of of <laughs> like Florida, like that. Whatever happens after Ohio State, it's one game at a time, and and they're all going to be tough no matter who it is. But you got to beat Ohio State first. Yes, and like I said, it's going to be a tight one. Uh, I, I, and I thought going into the Western Kentucky one, that one was going to be tight. It was a lot, a lot less stressful than it ended up when I thought it was going to be. Um, it was still stressful. I'm not going to say that I overlooked it, but this one, 3 p.m. to like 5 p.m. on Thursday is just going to be a lot, a lot to, a lot to handle. Yep. And, uh, 
You know, I, I think the theme of, or not the theme, but the vibe of this week we talked about with the two volleyball games, two basketball games, uh, two women's basketball games and two men's basketball games. Um, last week, it's going to track pretty well with the vibes of this week. So just uh, prepare for another. And uh, those are our three sports in action. So I think that uh, we'll, we'll have a lot to talk about at least next week too. I think we spent about, let's see, 45 minutes on volleyball alone. I think that is very on brand for us. Remember when we used to try and hurry up through the non-rev sports in like five minutes? <laughs> you know, you know, we can have personal growth. Yeah. We, we make changes, you know, we grind the tape and, you know, we adjust, we, we grow and we learn. Hey, these, these folks are fun to cover. Volleyball has been fantastic this year. If you've not seen a game, tune in, pitch in the seven bucks for ESPN plus. Uh, Absolutely Mike. worth it. Absolutely worth it for this game alone. It, uh, it will be, and already is a top three season in tech history for volleyball. It could very well be number one by the time we're done talking. So yeah, opportunities don't come around every year like this. Yeah. And we'll, you know, we'll be here next weekend, whatever the result, whatever happens, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll dissect it. It'll be fun and worthy and all those wonderful things. They also still did the horse at the end of a at the end of one of their games, which I will have infinite respect for. Because man, I, doing the horse after some games that have sucked, like it it really does suck. But it it was sweet. It was really fun watching them do it with us. And I mean, even the athletic director did it. Todd was there. Todd didn't know what was going on. I don't think Todd has ever seen the horse done in person. But I think that's a bit of an unfair speculation. I, I, I declined to comment, but you know, it, it was good to see them all join in and, and it's a fun team. Like I said, fun team. that's, that's the thing you have to take away about a lot of these non-rep sports, or maybe you're not super into men's basketball or baseball or whatever. Like there, there's a lot of heart in a lot of places. And I don't know, hopefully, hopefully you at least find some value in, in, you know, baseball come spring or, or basketball as we get towards ACC play. Well, anything else to discuss before we hit the two hour mark? Uh, no, I got to go flip my laundry again. So should probably do that before it gets too late. All right. Plug your stuff or our stuff or, you know, do, do the thing. Comments, observations to from the rumble seat at gmail.com. You can catch us at from the rumble seat.com for the written word uh, FTRS blog on Twitter. We're super close to 4,000 followers. That's a mark that's meant a lot to me uh, as uh and Akshay and, and all the rest of their team. And it really is a team uh, in terms of people that put in, in coverage there, just like it is on the site. Um, I don't know if you have feedback or comments on whether it's analytics or content here or content on the site, just let us know. Um, mailbag does come out on Wednesdays. So if you have questions, feel free to ask them there as well. I am at Jake Grant 98 on Twitter. You can follow me there. Akshay is findable but doesn't publicly advertise so i respect that decision and uh in the meantime uh follow along on all of our outlets for for news on uh football uh, as it is coach search season uh winding down and, and analytics season winding up uh at the same time as we have basketball kind of coming into its own here as well as our our, our content on other sports so see you around oh.